You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, it's a quiet little Friday here in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I guess round two. We're not in the middle yet. Typically, the first round of the playoffs is the best round. More games, good matchups, the bigger upsets, at least this season. Now we're in round two, and it's a Friday night, and we have one game, one single game on the schedule this evening. It's the Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils. I will be watching it, but for a person like me who likes to sit on my couch and watch sports, hockey more specifically, a bit of a sad little Friday here in the playoffs to find something else to do. I don't know about that. As we welcome you into the show, Hockey Central 960, it's, uh, again, Friday, final final hour of the week. We have a friend of the show here, Sean Gentilly. He has an open Friday in Las Vegas. <laughs> he joins us now on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline because there's a no Vegas, no Oilers game. Uh, schedule's all wonky. So Sean joins us now from Las Vegas. I guess you're not really upset about not having much to do tonight, huh? I mean, I still have a job. I'm speaking to you live from T-Mobile Arena. I feel like you can hear the pucks banging off the off the boards, probably. It's authentic. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm less of a Vegas guy than you'd probably assume. Just leave it. You're leave not it that. gonna go follow around the Wrexham Football Club. Oh, uh, that's spoken town. like someone who has a. Cl- Spoken like someone who has a clue as to what I've been asked to do <laughs> by my superiors. Yeah. For context, so, for those I'll listening, like, the the Wrexham football yeah. team uh, is partying in Vegas for the week on Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney's dime. Probably more Ryan Reynolds because he's definitely more rich than Rob McElhaney of It's Always Sunny fame. We do love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. None of those jokes yeah, are really I mean, like, radio friendly, though, so we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and and McElhenney has but he created the show and he peed it like he does. He's got money. He doesn't have mint mobile money. Maybe he can he can pay for stuff. Maybe if I finagle my way in with these guys, like that can be who picks up my bill if I end up in the poker room at the Bellagio with these guys or whatever. Yeah, Sean's so, gonna end up partying the night away with Paul Mullen. From Disney Plus's Welcome to Wrexham documentary. That's a fact in the United States. Excuse you. Oh yes, well I'm in Canada, so this is a this is a Calgary radio station, Sean. But but really, thanks for for coming on the show. I know you're at practice right now. The Oilers are skating in Vegas. There isn't a game until tomorrow, uh, game two between the Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, but you're in Vegas for the series. Golden Knights took. Game number one. Um, we've talked about this matchup. You did the preview for it at the Athletic as well. Uh, but I'm curious, what are some of the big, you know, matchups that you're tracking between these two teams, and what should be a pretty fun round two? <laughs> In my opinion, it's crucial that the Vegas Golden Knights keep track of Leon Drysaddle, based on <laughs> based on expert eyes watching watching Game One. Um, I, you know, I, I, I really do. I've, I've said this before. I really like the Golden Knights 
top two lines. I love I love the combination of Eichel and Marchessault. I love what Barbashev brings. He obviously was great in game one. And then you get Mark Stone back, and it seems like they really have something with him and Chandler Stevenson, right? So you have a pretty impressive group of talent at the top of that lineup. We all know what the Oilers can bring. We don't have to, we don't have to go over that. But I, it's it's going to be interesting to watch, you know, star versus star. I think that's what this could turn into. Like I said, we know McDavid. We know Dreisaitl. And that the fact that, you know, Vegas can counteract with Jack Eichel and Mark Stone is is – serious so that's that's not that's what i'm watching most closely is the names at the, at the top of the lineup because there's legit legit star power there you know the best regular season team ever in the boston bruins is gone the defending stanley cup champions are gone the team that made three straight cup finals they're gone too and i think you know what's left is a really wide open stanley cup race doesn't really feel like there's one favorite and I almost feel like I'm bopping around on who I'm picking on a nightly basis it's like a recency bias you know it's like oh I'm all in on the Dallas mm-hmm. Stars and then I watch the way that the Vegas Golden Knights play in game one I'm like oh boy they look really good right now wow Drysaddle scores four and it's still not enough Vegas is deep uh, and then you watch the Carolina Hurricanes and they win five to one and I'm sure we're gonna see the Edmonton Oilers do something in game two and it it's it almost makes it more fun like as I was kind of saying in the intro round one is usually the best round and then half the time like round two feels like a bit of bogged down before things get a bit more interesting closer to the Stanley Cup but it's almost making the second round of the playoffs even more interesting because everyone is still realistically in this thing oh absolutely I, th- I think of the eight teams left you know you squint you can see you can see most of them having a realistic chance at this right I mean I don't not to knock the Seattle Kraken but I, I feel like there's certainly there's certainly eight, eight out of eight, and we're talking about a team that, you know, knocked off the defending champs in the in the last round, and you know, opened their own series with a game one win. So yeah, it is, and it, it is, it does change on a on a nightly basis. Like I'm good at, I'm I'm relatively good at picking series winners. I had success in that in round one, but mm-hmm. on the other spectrum, I feel like I'm blowing it night after night in my individual game picks. Right, like it it is. You mentioned recency bias. That's that's true. It's it's tough to it's tough to go back. Like and again, going back to going back to the going back to the Kraken series. Like what the shift we saw from game one to game two is is, is pretty drastic. And I think that encapsulates a lot of what's going on within these series, where you are getting you know one team's on one night and then it's the other's turn a couple days later. What do you make of the the home in a way? thing that's going on right now with with so many teams losing on home ice i mean the the vegas golden knights win on home ice in game one but when you look at the toronto maple leafs for example they are down 0-2 in this series and they had home ice advantage it looks like that home ice advantage isn't as uh doesn't seem like it's as important right now i guess it's for some teams because again carolina won on home ice as well but what do you make of that is it just kind of random this year, or is that something that you're actually tracking? I think there's always an element of randomness to, to the home and away split. But teams, I mean, the advantage is undeniable, right? Like it's it's not it's not made up. Like it, it might be it might be overstated in some cases. I think what we see here, honestly, is just it's just one more data point that the difference between these teams isn't that stark, right? Like. Close, right. 
close team, close closely matched teams are going to have closely matched series, and the margin, you know, the marginal gains you get from playing at home, isn't enough to you know trump, I guess the the uh, the talent gap between these teams. So it's just another another point you know in favor of what we were saying before. A lot of these teams are, are matched really really closely, and then you introduce just the natural randomness, the natural chaos of of the sport, and here we are. You know teams. Yeah, we, you mentioned Toronto dropping the first two games at home to the to the Panthers. Like this, this is this is how it works. To look at that series for a moment, Sean, because again, you had the the power rankings; those come out on the Athletic every Friday morning. And the Seattle Kraken are eight of eight. The Toronto Maple Leafs were seven of eight. You and Dom uh, Luschician both ranked the Leafs at number seven. I guess it's hard to not knock them even. It's hard to not knock them given the fact that they are down to nothing in the series yeah. against Florida. But what is the reason, I guess, to be optimistic about the Maple Leafs? Because that's the theme of the week, right? It's, it's, you know, why each team could have a chance. What is that chance for Toronto? I mean, it's 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 fit by a lot of measures. They're a better team. You know, we saw that right. in Game Two. They controlled run of play pretty drastically. They outchanced Florida pretty drastically. You know, that has a tendency over the course of whatever, an 82-game season, that's going to win out. But we're not talking about an 82-game season. We're talking about a seven-game series in which they're already halfway to elimination, right? So, yeah, you know, you look at the talent and it's impressive, and you look at the five-on-five work from last night and it's impressive, but – Sergey Bobrovsky stole a game, and he's a and he in goaltending counts too. Like right, there's it's it, mm-hmm. it's it's the kind of thing that Florida needed. They needed a game like that where Bobrovsky stepped up and they got it last night. So the end the end result is like, of course the Leafs are, <laughs> the Leafs have to be seven. They should probably be eight because at least at least the Kraken has a have a have won one game out of two, right? Like it's it's just sure. it's just the way it goes. The process can be great. Everyone, everyone loves to say like we we love what we love what they're doing in terms of driving play and getting chances, but that matters so much less now that you you have to account for it. There's a lot of talk in the first round about the villain role, anti-hero role, uh, as you put it, with Matthew Kachuk for the Florida Panthers. Now it's. Sam Bennett, who's playing the villain, two players that people in Calgary are familiar with. Bennett uh, was fined five thousand dollars for cross-checking on Michael Bunting. That was announced earlier today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew Nyes is also out with a concussion. One of the hits that Nyes took yesterday was from Sam Bennett, kind of throwing him down to the ice. Those two guys are on the same line, and in Game 1, Kachuk led the game with nine hits. Sam Bennett was a wrecking ball in Game 2. I mean, the series has been incredibly physical. There was over 80 hits in Game 1, over 90 in Game 2. But looking at Kachuk, Bennett, and and Nick Cousins, who's been on that line right now, just how important are those guys to to what the Florida Panthers are doing right now? Oh, man, they're they're huge. You know, I I think that's... I, I love and I love the Bennett. I, this is whatever. No, <laughs> not trying to make light of what happened to, to Matthew Nyes, but you know the the Bennett Kachuk pairing works, right? Whether it's with Nick Cousins, whether it's with Carter Verhage, those are guys that can play play the way the Panthers want to play, which is get on the forecheck, establish establish zone time, and when you're not doing that, you're pouncing you're pouncing on mistakes, and we we saw that we saw that uh, in in, the, in that last game, right when. 
they forced a, a turnover, you know, behind the Maple Leafs blue line with with Marner and uh, with, with with Marner and Matthews. It's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's meaningful, and that's what that's what makes the Florida Panthers good, is that they have is that they have these these pairs at the at the top of their lineup that can really uh that can really make a difference and and can hang with pretty much anybody they play with. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's enormous. What has made this Panthers team so different from last year? Is it is it just the Paul Maurice fingerprints all over the place? Is it the way that they I mean obviously they get the best individual player in the trade with Calgary, but then you get a new coach in, they're mm-hmm. playing a different style. It seems to just fit the playoffs a little bit better and I think the kind of uh, what makes this interesting is there's talk in, in this market and with media with fans you know Andrew Brunette could he be an option for the Calgary Flames given how well Jonathan Huberto played uh, pl- under Brunette but then you look at the team's success and how they lost in the second round under Brunette and now you're with Paul Maurice and they're playing a style that seems like it could take them a bit farther. I mean, we're still in round two. We've got to see what happens here. But I'm curious your thoughts on watching the Panthers last year under Andrew Brunet and watching them now with Paul Maurice. Yeah, I mean, a huge part of this is, yeah, they got Matthew Kachuk, who's a top five player in the league right now. They they absolutely ended up with the, with the best player in, in that deal. And now that was the reason to like it for them whenever it happened. But I, you got to give credit to Paul Maurice. And I know that, you know, that's, can be a touchy subject because he's, you know, has for as long as he's been coaching, not a ton of playoff success there, right? So, you know, you don't want to overstate the role of the coach here. But when you look at the juxtaposition of the way they played last year and where they got their offense from in, in the way that shifted over the course of the season to the point where they're not just a tougher team. They're not just a more playoff-ready team. Like, they're turning all that into actual production, right? They're turning it into zone time. They're turning it into chances, and they're good at what they do. This isn't just lip service from Paul Maurice about being tougher to play against or, you know, whatever, stick, sticking to systems. Like, the proof is in the pudding for them, and it really has been for a huge chunk of the season. The finishing talent wasn't there. That could Maybe that deserts them again, right? But the process – you know, for most of this regular season has been pretty unimpeachable. And I think you've got to give Paul Maurice credit for that because, you know, the results at this point are speaking for themselves. Shifting back to the Vegas Edmonton series, because naturally you are in Las Vegas right now. So we'll focus a bit on, on the series that you're covering, Sean. What's going to be the big X factor for the the Golden Knights? And I want to focus more on Vegas than Edmonton because we're having Tyler Yaremchuk on later in the show to look a bit more at the Oilers' point of view. Um, so what's the big X factor? If the if the Vegas Golden Knights are going to beat the Oilers, you know, X needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Mark Stone needs to stay healthy. I, I think that's clear. We saw he left practice a couple of days ago kind of gingerly back injuries are brutal back operations are brutal he had he had one not long ago you know this god bless him but he's in his 30s now your body doesn't bounce back the way that it used to that's true whether you're a pro athlete or you know a journalist right that's just that's just kind of the way it goes but they need him to stay healthy because they're a different team when he's you know, at his best and contributing. And like I said, doing his thing with Chandler Stevenson on the, on that, on that second line, it's huge. And they, and they, and they need him to be in peak form. 
you know, whether it's to beat the Oilers or, or whether it's to advance further after that. He needs to stay healthy. It's impossible to imagine them getting this done without him, even though they do have, you know, a pretty impressive group of talent surrounding them. And you got Jack Eichel who's leveling up, and you have Petrangelo who's had a very quietly outstanding season as, as their as their top defenseman. But a lot of a lot of what they do in this postseason and, and what they'll be able to do moving forward hinges on Stone and his production and his health. Okay, so it looks like Tyler's also in Vegas. So he actually replied to our Sports at 960 tweet uh, about the show and who's coming on today. And he says, please ask Sean about watching me randomly hit big on the plastic horse races yesterday in Vegas. That What's was going him? on? Holy shit. Oh, I just swore. Yes. <laughs> I thought we were on our I thought we were on our podcast. I can't believe I can't believe I've done that. I've never I've never cursed on the radio before. Congratulations. Uh, I did not realize that was Tyler. I was talking to him about uh, about Oilers fans getting screwed over by the scheduling for Game Two, and I and I I don't think either of us put two and two together. That that was a that was a huge win for him. Oh, I love it. I was like I was I was thinking about him all all day after that. I was like that dude won big on a twenty. I think the odds were twenty two hundred to one. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> What are plastic horse races? Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's a little. It's a little. Uh, they're fake horses. Little... No, they're real horses. They're real plastic horses inside a casino. It's crazy. It's, I, it I don't doesn't know make any sense. <laughs> no, it's it's just like it's like you sit. It it is. It's imagine bubble hockey like for horses, and you bet on them, and they and and they run. It's like a. It's, it's like roulette, basically. It's like just a, a total automated little uh, toy horse race. I can't believe that's him. 2,200 to one. Wow. <laughs> like sprinkle five bucks and win big or what? Is he? Is he yeah. Is he, uh, is he in the He's arena He's coming right on now? later, so I'm going to ask him about this. Oh, man. I'm, 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 shake, I'm shaking him down. See if he's got his cash, his cash with him. Watch out, Tyler. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, the other note here on, cause you mentioned you're talking about, you were talking to Tyler about how Oilers fans are kind of getting screwed over here. I mean, you've been talking to some fans who've been around the arena, who've been in Vegas, who, you know, bought their tickets and, and, or bought their plane tickets, I should say, and, and made their plans around what they thought was going to be the schedule. And, and now it's all mixed up. It seems like there's going to be some Oilers fans who have to, you know, watch the game at the airport because they already booked to fly home. Like what's going on with the, the schedule over there? Yeah. I mean, it's classic, classic NHL stuff where, you know, who knows, who knows exactly what happened, but it happened. And Tyler, I think he got, he got, uh, he got saved by, booking through a travel agency i believe he he can tell you he can tell you the story himself but he got he got rescued a little bit there's a lot of people who aren't who aren't as lucky you know um yeah it's a it's an it's an interesting situation there's a there's a lot of people who, who are stuck here i know there's worse things than to spend a couple extra nights in vegas but you know the logistics behind all, all of it are all of it are screwy and, and really really complicated all right. So, looking at the the only game on the schedule tonight, we've got a couple more minutes left here with you, Sean. 
It's Carolina versus New Jersey. Canes are up one nothing. We had this conversation on our podcast, but we can kind of chat about it here as well. Are we underestimating Carolina a little bit? I've done this a couple times. Like I talk about the injuries that they've sustained to the top of their lineup, but they keep on winning games. It didn't really matter in round one. It didn't matter in game one. Obviously, the New Jersey Devils, we've seen that they can come back from a deficit in the series. Um, so we can't take them too lightly, but I wonder if people have been maybe underestimating Carolina for the, it's like the shiny new toy, right? It's, ooh, New Jersey's young and they're fun, but hey, the Canes have kind of been here and this has kind of been their time, right? They're playing the way that they want to play, you know, and I think in that first game against New Jersey, they got exactly what they needed, which was goals from depth players. This wasn't just a Bastinajo scoring. It wasn't just Paul Stastny scoring. This was, you know, a pretty a pretty well balanced situation for them. You got Seth Jarvis turning up. You got, you know, Yasperi Cook and Yemi. They need production from these guys to make up for all that uh, all that talent drain, you know, because of injury at the at the top of their lineup. So yeah, people shouldn't sleep on them. Like we we know how they play. We know they're good at it. And they gave us a pretty good uh, a pretty good reminder in Game One against Jersey. So I noticed this from Greg Wyshynski. He's a friend of yours, friend of the show. Jack Hughes was top five in jersey sales this season. Mm-hmm. And during the playoffs. His quotes have been fun in the playoffs. He's playing really well in the postseason. This seems like yet another kind of young, fun American star that the NHL really should be latching on to marketing-wise. How important is Jack Hughes? You've seen Jack. He's a cutie. That helps. He's got the he's got the fan cam girlies out out in full force. They love Jack. He's he's talented. I, I'm going to steal from Greg actually because we've had this conversation. Greg always calls him NHL Chalamet because he looks like Timothy Chalamet a little bit. That's like that's Greg's move. It's true. Okay. He's really talented. He's a, he's, a, he's a cutie pie. What's not to like? But in terms of making the. You know, it's the marketing, though, right? Like, he's somebody that I think, like, it's the Jack Hughes, Cole Caulfield, um, Trevor Zegris, these, like, really young, skilled, kind of fun players that, you know, we were having this conversation yesterday. It's the Snoop Dogg thing. It's like, well, why why isn't Connor McDavid on every single commercial? And people are like, well, because, you know, his personality is like a noodle or a cabbage. People saying, you know, maybe he doesn't yeah, want to do it because he's focused on playing. But these guys, like Cole Caulfield is really fun. He's doing TikToks in Montreal with, with the social media people. Jack Hughes is, is funny. I mean, he's doing TikToks and stuff. Like, And Trevor Zegers is is great. He's carrying around a Baby Yoda toy for Star Wars Day in, in Anaheim and stuff like that. Like, there's there's a lot of young, fun players who should be easier to market around. Yeah, I mean, it, it, every the NHL takes a lot of crap for it, and they deserve a lot of it too. When it, when it comes to failing to market their stars, but the stars need to want to be marketed. They need to want to play ball, right? And, and that's a big part of it's a big part of it. Like I don't think Connor Connor McDavid doesn't. You know, you're not going to see Connor McDavid doing TikToks or or, or whatever. Like that's just it's it's not the way he's built. But the, but the, the this the current crop coming up the younger guys I know it's crazy to talk about McDavid like he's some elder statesman at this point but they're you know they're they're built a little different and they're a lot more willing to play ball when it comes to that so yeah give me these guys you know they want they want the attention they can have it all right well I know you're at practice so we're gonna let you go 
You also cursed on the yeah, radio and, and then called oh, Jack Hughes um, cute. So we're going to go. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Uh, there goes Sean Gentilly, a national writer at the Athletic. He's in Vegas for the Golden Knights Oilers series. Game two, not tonight. They got to wait a little bit longer. That game goes on Saturday tonight. It's Canes versus the New Jersey Devils, as we talked about. Jack Hughes saw this in ESPN today. One of the top five jerseys that were sold in the NHL this season. It's kind of fun. Great player. The Devils are a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I'll be locked in on that one tonight. Uh, as we mentioned, Tyler Yaremchuk from Oilers Nation and Daily Faceoff, he's going to join us in the second segment of the show. Uh, look a little bit more on the Edmonton Oilers side of things. Tee up that game that's coming tomorrow night. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl has been a beast, a four-goal game in game number one, 11 goals so far in the playoffs. He's only two off of Nathan McKinnon's 13 goals that led the postseason last year en route to a Stanley Cup. And uh, Dry Settle's got 11 through 7 games. So we're going to talk to Tyler about the Golden Knights, maybe see what, what else happened with this plastic horse race that he won big on. Uh, so we're going to head to a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Tyler. Tee up that matchup a little bit more. That's coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, Hockey Central 960 continues here. Uh, Haley Salvian with you for the next 25 minutes of your Friday. We're joined by Sean Gentilly of The Athletic. He is in Vegas for the Oilers Golden Knight Series. They don't play tonight, though. Got to wait till Saturday. Uh, but sticking with the theme of the Pacific Division, the Western Conference, Oilers, Golden Knights, we are going to go right back to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and bring in Tyler Yaremchuk from Oilers Nation Daily Faceoff uh, to tee up that matchup a little bit more, but dig in, yes, to the Edmonton Oilers. Tyler, what's up? You caused quite a stir there with Sean. <laughs> Did I? Well, see, and it's actually funny because he was cruising around the casino just looking to talk to Oilers fans who had uh, like their travel plans disrupted because he's doing a story yeah. on that. So he walked up to where I was at the plastic horse races and he doesn't know who I am. So he was just like talking normally. And then we yeah. tried to introduce myself to him afterwards, but it was a total like random chance meetup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. Um... He just, he, it, you kind of blew his mind a bit when I asked him the question. He's like, oh my God, wait. <laughs> what? If, oh, that's good. What? That's not what he said. We're not going to repeat what he said. I apologize for anybody listening. <laughs> for the I'm sorry I caused that. The podcast. No, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, so you, you hit big on these plastic horse races, though. Like, that, I guess that's, it's a decent little Thursday in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, paid for a couple of drinks because one plastic horse went around the plastic track quicker than the other plastic horses. And if that's not a Vegas <laughs> sentence, I don't know what is. It's amazing. And, of course, Sean's just cruising. When you said Sean was cruising around the casino, I thought, you know, he was just there gambling away. But it's nice that he was doing <laughs> no, he's some He's a work. working man, unlike me. <laughs> amazing. Well, 
Uh, it's great that you're in Vegas for the series. I mean, the Golden Knights up one nothing, game two, not until Saturday night. Just to maybe start more broadly on the Oilers throughout the postseason so far. I mean, seven games in. How would you kind of assess the way that this team has looked? It's been really interesting from an Oilers perspective because if you kind of go back through their losses, in a lot of them, it's like preventable mistakes that cause the game to turn around. The Oilers shoot themselves in the foot with with bad turnovers, with poor discipline and things like that. And then the games where they've shown up and kind of had their A-level of game for even just 25 or 30 minutes, it's been the easier wins for the most part. So I really do think the Oilers' struggles are all internal. It's never really been a result of not being able to handle the LA Kings or in game one of this series, not being able to handle the Golden Knights. It's just been these weirdly uncharacteristic mistakes that they've been making that are costing them hockey games. So, I mean, down one nothing on the road is not a terrible spot to be in, and this is an Oilers team that has been down one nothing in every series this year and last year. So they know how to bounce back. They're a confident group, but they need to figure out their own game here because some of the mistakes that are piling up are, are really just unacceptable for playoff hockey. I'm curious because a lot of this matchup has been kind of billed as it's the superstars in Edmonton versus the depth of talent on the Golden Knights. I've certainly been talking about it this way, and I think game one was an interesting example of that. Of course, Leon Dreisaitl, he scores four goals, but it's not enough. The Golden Knights score six, and they've got, what, five different goal scorers in that game. Um, but it's not like the Oilers don't have depth either. Like they, they, I think they are a better constructed team this year than they were last year. Is it just a matter of those guys elevating? Like it can't just be Dreisaitl every night. I mean, I mean, if you've got Leon Dreisaitl scoring four goals a night, you're probably going to end up being okay regardless of what your bottom six is doing, but that you probably need a little bit more out of some of those guys, especially against a team like Vegas. Yeah, the bottom six was a big reason why they finished off that series against the Kings in six games. If you go to that elimination game, it was Clint Costin scoring twice, Kyler Yamamoto with the winner. Costin had a third-period game winner earlier in the series as well in game two. And the interesting stat is with McDavid and Drysaddle off the ice against the L.A. Kings, the Oilers outshot the Kings at five-on-five and outscored them 4-3. And you might be like, okay, they outscored them by one, whatever. But in years (laughs) past, the Oilers' bottom six struggled to just stay afloat and not get caved. And against the Kings, they were driving possession and outscoring them. They were a net positive for the Oilers. Well, let's look at game one against the Vegas Golden Knights. With McDavid and Drysaddle off the ice in 25 minutes of five-on-five hockey, the Oilers got outshot 13-6 to and outscored 2 to nothing. You're right. The Oilers' stars, they're always going to get theirs. Even if they're not at the peak of their game, kind of like McDavid in the first round, They're going to produce. They're going to get chances on the power play. They're going to get you a couple goals every game. But the bottom six really is the key to this matchup for the Oilers. If the bottom six can find a way to not just break even but outscore the Golden Knights by one every game, then, and I've been saying this, the Oilers can still make this a quick series, but they need those depth pieces to come through. Is it unfair that I'm looking at McDavid having three goals and 12 points through seven games and being like, ah, he could do a little bit more? Maybe just where the three goals is coming from. It's the He's the only player in the world who you can look at as having 12 points through seven games and go, boy, he's a little off. Because, I mean, last year he was two points a game in the playoffs. And throughout that L.A. series, I think he really struggled with the way Deneau and Kopitar and especially Vlad Gavrikov, he was a beast on that Kings blue line, they played him tight. There was two guys on McDavid almost the whole time he was on the ice. 
Corpus Allo made some big saves on him. He wasn't at his best in that King series. He looked better in game one against the Golden Knights. He was starting to get a little bit more off the rush. And I do think this matchup against Vegas is a Vegas team that plays very fast. They like to kind of put the pressure on you and ramp up the intensity. And I actually think that plays into the Oilers' hand a little bit, and especially McDavid. He doesn't want the opposition to sit back in a 1-3-1 and play this slow trap game. He wants to go end-to-end, right? He wants to get chances off the rush and get odd man breaks. So I do think this matchup in round two is better for McDavid. And I think as the series goes on, we'll start to see him keep getting back closer to the dominant form we saw in the regular season and in last year's playoffs. So I think the big story for Edmonton right now, obviously, is the play of Leon Dreisaitl. He's got 11 goals, 52 points in his last 25 playoff games. I mean, Calgary fans know how good Dreisaitl was in the postseason last year. You don't have to explain that to them, and he was doing it on one leg. And now we're looking at a healthy Leon Dreisaitl, and he's been unbelievable. Like, what level is he at right now? It's unreal. And I mean, I remember being at uh, the all-star game down in Florida this year. And at that point he was still second in the league in scoring. And we, I had talked to him about, you know, your level of play so far in the production. And he said, yeah, you know, production great. And I'm paraphrasing a little here, but he said, I'm not happy with the way my season's gone. He was disappointed. He felt like he wasn't making a big enough impact off the score sheet. And then after the all-star game, things kind of slowly started moving in the right direction. Then without a, about a month ago in the season, he flipped some sort of switch and he's been the Oilers best player over the last six weeks. I don't think it's really that close. And I know people are like, Oh, power play merchant. And he plays with McDavid, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> if you watch these games, Leon dry is the driver and he's playing good in his own end. For the most part, he's been solid off the rush. Obviously the power play production is always going to be there. And his game just seems to translate so well to the playoffs, especially against a team like LA who, I talked about how McDavid almost doesn't like when the game gets slowed down and it's all about cycles and things like that. Dreisaitl, that big frame, the reverse check that he's kind of famous for now, the way he can <laughs> shield off defensemen with his back turned to them, he's built for the playoffs, and we're seeing that again this year like we did last year. Is there any level of concern with the fact that he can score four goals in a game and it's still not enough to win, or is that making too much of one single result? Uh, I mean, it, it's concerning because we know how tight a best-of-seven series will always be. You know, every game comes down to a bounce or two, and the Oilers, with that four-goal outburst from Leon Dreisaitl, they really needed to find a way to win that hockey game, whether it's one more stop from Stuart Skinner or a goal from literally anyone else. That's one of those ones that you kind of walk away from kicking yourself a little bit because you felt like you just handed it to the Vegas Golden Knights. And Drysaddle said after the game, you know, there's no consolation prize. Him scoring four goals doesn't matter. He was mad about the loss. And, I, you know, you're not going to get four from him probably in game two. You'll need a bit more depth scoring. But I think you're right. It's a little bit concerning because of what we talked about with the depth. If the bottom six can't get rolling, the Oilers might keep struggling to get back into this series. You know, looking at Ryan Nugent Hopkins now, he set career highs this season uh, in points, goals, assists, but he has yet to score in the playoffs. Is he a key for the Oilers to have success against this kind of deep Vegas team that we've been talking about? He's one of them, yeah, because the big debate, as I've been doing kind of my live shows over the last few days, is, you know, do you play McDavid and Drysaddle together or separate? And my argument is it doesn't matter what you do because if Nugent Hopkins, Kane, and Hyman don't get rolling, you're going to struggle to produce anyways. And Nugent Hopkins is a guy, obviously, he's a goose egg. 
in the goal department. It's a seven-game slump right now for Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. And I think if this would have came in, you know, February or March, people would have been like, hey, he had such a great start to the season, such a great first half that a seven-game slump is understood. And he basically rattled off an 82-game heater in the regular season. He didn't cool off once. So maybe this is just that natural cooling off period, but it's coming at a brutal time. And the Oilers need him to show a bit more fight and a bit more jam. He, he just doesn't look like he's ready to play playoff hockey right now. If he does hit that level, remember last year in the second round against the Flames, he had that game where he really broke out and scored a couple of big goals. The Oilers need that mm-hmm. sooner rather than later from number 93. What are the other? What's the big X factor for for the Oilers in this series? I asked Sean when he was on because he's in town. I asked him more for the Vegas side of things, and now we're looking at Edmonton with you, Tyler. He talked about the X factor for Vegas being, you know, Mark Stone and his health because the guy loves to score goals. He's got chemistry with Chandler Stevenson, and the lineup just seems to work. Obviously, when <laughs> Mark Stone is in it, the Golden Knights are a better team with Mark Stone in it. You know, Galaxy Brain take here from me. But what's the big X factor? factor when we're looking at the Edmonton Oilers to get through to round three yeah like we've touched on the depth obviously and we know the big guns are a big thing so I'll go a different direction here and I'm going to say it's the guy between the pipes and Stuart Skinner he's now appeared in seven playoff games this year for the Oilers obviously a rookie goalie nominated for the Calder Trophy his first run through the Stanley Cup playoffs and it's not even like he's had a couple of years of being a backup right and getting that kind of experience like He's never been involved in the Stanley Cup playoffs before. And through seven games, he hasn't been above a 920 save percentage once. Down the stretch, last 10, 12 games of the year, Stuart Skinner was like a 940-plus goalie on like a routine basis. It was crazy the way he was playing. And to see things kind of fall off the way they have over the last you know two weeks here for Skinner is a little bit disappointing. If he can find the form that is 920-plus in the save percentage department and just make that one extra save, he hasn't been bad. He's just been average. But if he gets from average to good or great, then that's a big, big thing for this Oilers team. Because if they would have, again, gotten one extra stop against the Golden Knights, they'd probably find a way to win that hockey game. I mean, sticking with Between the Pipes and Stuart Skinner, specifically you mentioned he was announced uh, to be a finalist for the Calder Trophy. I know it hasn't. There's room to improve in the playoffs, but given the way that Jack Campbell looked in the regular season, I mean, where would this Oilers team be without Stuart Skinner right now? Yeah, I think it's part of the case why he should win the Calder Trophy at the NHL Awards in June. And this is no knock on Matty Beneers, who was a really good top six piece for that Seattle Kraken team. But when you go back through the regular season and those moments, especially early on, when Jack Campbell just could not give you a quality appearance, if the Oilers didn't have Stuart Skinner stepping in and giving them many quality appearances, forget having home ice in the first round, forget being one of the divisional playoff spots, the Oilers would have been scratching and clawing for a playoff spot all year if it wasn't for Stuart Skinner and the play he had early on. So he's huge. I always joke that he's this team's non-Connor McDavid MVP because McDavid 97, (laughs) obviously that guy. But without Stuart Skinner, like he was probably their second most important player this year. Do you think his leash is a little bit shorter, though? I mean, Jack Campbell, he's only played in one game in the postseason so far. It was a pretty good one, though. Uh, He won that one. He only allowed one goal against a 9.64 save percentage in that one against the Kings. Do you think... If game two doesn't go well that it, for Stewart, assuming Stewart Skinner starts game two, if that doesn't go well. Do you think, do you think we see Jack Campbell early in this series? 
I think we will. I think if, you know, if they lose two to one in game two, then I could see them running back Stuart Skinner again. But if they were to lose five, four or six, four again in game two, it would not surprise me in the least if Jack Campbell's coming out of the tunnel for the Oilers in game three back at Rogers place. And again, the regular season didn't go well, but he ended it with a couple of really good appearances. Jack Campbell, that is. And then he saved their season with that performance in the comeback in game four against the LA Kings. If he doesn't stop Victor Arvidsson on the breakaway with under 10 minutes to go, Edmonton does not win that game. They're down 3-1, and they likely don't win the series. So there is a little bit of that recency bias where you can look and go, okay, Campbell was good for us his last time out. If we need a spark, he did it once. He can do it again. So if game two doesn't go well, I could definitely see uh, the guy they call Soup getting the start. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes left. We're talking to Tyler Yaremchuk from the Daily Faceoff. I want to look at the blue line quickly because we've been talking a lot, obviously, just now about the goalies, about the forward group. Obviously, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are the major drivers of this team. But what kind of boost has adding Matthias Ekholm to this roster provided for the Oilers? Oh, it's it was the perfect puzzle piece. It's exactly what they needed, a guy who excels in his own end first, plays that hard-nosed playoff style that the team really, really lacked, I think, especially losing Duncan Keith off last year's roster. And the trickle-down effect of this thing has been remarkable. They paired him up with Evan Bouchard, who finally got the steady veteran presence he needed. And ever since Ekholm came over, Evan Bouchard's like almost a point-of-game player now. It's been crazy to see the confidence return to Evan Bouchard's game the way it has since Ekholm arrived. And then also, now that's a pairing that... Jay Woodcroft can trust in all areas of the ice, which is making life easier for Darnell Nurse, who really struggled early in the year. So Ekholm's arrival has made Bouchard better. It's made Darnell Nurse better. And it's taken their blue line from average mediocre to above that. Like, I think this is definitely a blue line. And I know people in Calgary might roll their eyes when I say this, but with that top (laughs) four they have right now, I think it's a blue line that's capable of holding it together on a deep run. They struggled in game one against Vegas. I'm well aware of that, but I think when this group's at their best, they're very capable of being a Stanley Cup or close to a Stanley Cup level blue line. Uh, And Matthias Ekholm is the reason why I can say that. The Oilers were nearly unstoppable on the man advantage in the first round against the LA Kings going nine for 16. Bouchard, as you mentioned there, he had eight points in that facet, McDavid had six. Drysaddle chipped in with five. Um, and their power play, obviously, in the regular season was the best success rate since the league started tracking that statistic with 32.4% uh, efficiency rating. It might just be the McDavid factor, but what makes this power play so lethal? And that just seems to be the key for Vegas, actually, is just don't don't let the Oilers go on the power play if you want to try to win this series. I'm sure whoever, whichever Golden Knights coach is in charge of the penalty kill was pulling out their hair after that game, even though they won. Because the Oilers' power play looked disjointed, disorganized, struggled getting the mm-hmm. puck into the zone, struggled completing passes, and yet they looked disorganized for 55 seconds, and then it's boom, 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 in the back of the net, and Leon Dreisaitl scores again. And it's like, even when you think you're stopping them, you aren't stopping them. It's been crazy to watch the run they're on, but what makes them dangerous, yes, it's Connor McDavid, but it's the different looks they'll throw at you. And actually, Evan Bouchard now being on that top unit is a big reason why. They now have this heavy downhill shot that they have out there that the other team needs to respect. And if you're not going to respect that Bouchard shot and have a guy covering the point, 
well, he'll just unleash his, as they call them at Oilers Nation, boosh bombs. And a lot of the times <laughs> they're going in or there's rebounds off of them. So if you want to go hard on Bouchard, well, then he's a good enough puck distributor that he gets it to McDavid and Dreisaitl, and you got to deal with them on the half wall. It's not just a one-trick pony, even though it's usually Leon Dreisaitl finishing off the chances. They hit you with so many different looks that that's why I think teams struggle because even if you think you have a recipe to shut them down, I mean, you're just fooling yourself because you don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, great stuff, Tyler. I appreciate you coming on and teeing up this matchup. We've got to wait one more day for it. Only one game on tap tonight, but Oilers Golden Knights will be tomorrow night in Vegas. I hope you enjoy your Friday night and you can uh, win some more money on the the plastic ponies. Yeah, I'm, I'm walking over there right now. Thanks for having me on, Haley. <laughs> awesome. Have fun. All right. Thanks, Tyler. There he goes. It's Tyler Eremchuk from the Daily Faceoff. He just joined us there on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. That conversation brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. Uh, if you couldn't tell by me being confused about what the plastic horse race was, I'm not a big casino person. I'm not a huge betting person either. I, I am the kind of sports better that will sprinkle 10 bucks on something. I, I bet $10 on a, on Bo Bichette hitting over two hits once last year and I won $60 and I was like, cool, I'm going to retire from professional sports betting. It's not my thing. I don't need to put money on the line to enjoy a hockey game. Although I will, I went to, there's a casino I went to and I won $80 playing roulette. And I like to tell everybody that I'm really good at playing roulette now, even though it's 100% just a game of chance. And I only ever put, you know, 10 bucks down on number 10. It's not smart. Don't learn from me. But that's all. That's all the time we have for today here on Hockey Central. Um, it's interesting hearing from Tyler, thinking that Stuart Skinner should win the Calder. Maybe next week we can dive in a little bit more on some of the uh, awards, trophies. All the finalists have been announced this week. Uh, Stuart Skinner, Owen Power, Maddie Beneers, finalists for the Calder. Uh, the Norris, Kale McCarr, Eric Carlson, Adam Fox. Uh, the Selkie was Mitch Marner. Uh, Patrice Bergeron and Nico Heischer. And of course, the Lady Bing as well was Anze Kopitar, Jack Hughes, and Braden Point. That's not one that I think that media should be voting on. I do have a vote. I will say I can share my ballot once the awards are over. I don't think we can share who we voted for until after the fact. But the Lady Bing, you know, we can look at who doesn't take a lot of penalties, but I don't know what these guys are like on the ice. I don't know if they're gentlemanly when they play. That should be an NHLPA slash referee type award, but uh, it's fun to vote. We can dive into that a bit more once all the finalists are out, the heart, the Vesna, et cetera, uh, maybe next week. And that's all the time we have, as I mentioned, on this Friday edition of Hockey Central. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next Tuesday here on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan.